Jones once put it, the old town looks the same as I stepped down from the train. We haven't either of us got a train here instead. We've gotten uh, buses and walking cars and such. But it is... Well, take the Lewis home. Does that count as a train? Yep. It's on rails, isn't it? Yeah. Unlike Shamrock Rover season. Oh, zing. See what I did there? You did, yeah. Rather wonderful. Brilliant. It's almost like we planned that one, and we didn't because no planning goes into this whatsoever. Welcome back to News Talks SSE, or Tristy League podcast. I am Richie McCormick, and he is... Oshin Langan. And we have returned after an extended summer break, and while we were away, nothing at all happened at all. Zip. Nothing. Zero. No European progress, no European ties, and no major managerial uh, departures or arrivals. Except that, you know... Shelburne and Alan Matthews leaving it alone and uh, what's the other one? Oh, rings a bell rings a hoop load of your Shamrock Rovers ditching yes. Pat Fenlon and in the interim at least uh, placing Stephen Bradley at the helm midway through a European tie you know, you know what I thought was I was going to say funny but I won't use that word because it's very unfortunate when anyone loses their job and mm. I have a lot of time for Pat Fenlon but after the first leg against uh, Rovaniemi they lost 2-0 at home and that's pretty much it done for them in Europe, uh, even though the second leg is still to come as we record. There was lots of stories flying around. Fenland's already gone. The board are sick of this. They're, they've had enough, etc. And a few reporters come out and said, the rumours are rubbish. They're rubbish. And I was thinking, all right, Eamon. Maybe, maybe hang on a few days. I mean, legitimately, there is foundation to it. And again, I stress, you wouldn't want to see anyone losing their job. You don't like to see it go south for anyone. Mm. But... I mean, it, it, I don't think you can have too much of an argument with the board's move at Shamrock Rovers. Uh, the timing isn't ideal, but when you know when when is the timing good to sack someone? The timing is obviously clearly not good to sack. Well, from the sackee's point of view, it's never good. As regards Rovers, though, I don't think it makes much sense or will make a hell of a lot of difference to their season unless they have one hell of a rabbit to pull out of the hat for the rest of this year. They're going to what finish best third again. You know, uh, have they got the squad in place to challenge Cork and Dundalk? Wouldn't have thought so. If you basically look through their squads, it's, you know, decent, it's serviceable. There's a lot of people in there that could do a job, like Brandon Mealy, Mikey Drennan, you know, when he's fit, Danny North, etc., etc. Simon Madden, Simon Madden, one of my favourite players in the league. Uh, and a former neighbour of mine, Patrick Craig, in midfield, who can anchor things. But are they, you know, up there with the Daryl Horgans of this world, Dave McMillan's, uh, even the Shawnee Maguire's, etc. at Cork? Don't think so. So... What exactly were we expecting? Maybe we can, there's a bit more dirt under the fingernails of this one we can find out a little bit more uh, as the podcast progresses. But for me, anyway, the timing of it is bizarre because halfway during European tie, regardless of whether you're 2-0 down or not, doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Apparently, I don't know how much truth there is to this. Did Fenlon take training on uh, over the course of the weekend, I think on Saturday or something? I don't know. In these situations, there's an awful lot you do know, but there's probably more you don't. You don't know things like exactly... What happened regards bringing players in? Did, did Fenlon get everyone he wanted? Did Fenlon get everything around his backroom the way he wanted? Or was it just one of these things that just didn't work out? He worked incredibly hard as he always does. But there's been too He's many a- it didn't work out at Rovers. There's been Crawley yeah. that didn't work out. There's been Stephen Kenny that got nine months and didn't work out. There was the yeah. lunatic appointment on a short-term basis at least of Brian Laws, <laughs> if we remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. There we go. We'd all forgotten that one, hadn't we? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe because we wanted to forget. Even if you're not a Rovers fan... You're actually so embarrassed about that for, from the league point of view you want to forget. Yeah, within like the same space of 12 months that they'd Say it ain't so. been in the Europa League group stages. I mean, this looks like five years on yeah. from that position, like an opportunity wasted for the club. You know, you know what this says to me? Northern Ireland, when Michael O'Neill does move on, be careful with your next appointment. Absolutely. Just make sure it's not Brian Laws. Exactly. You know? I think he should be okay once it's not that. Uh, lots to come over the course of the uh, podcast. Upon our return, we'll speak to Farin Kadusevich, who was at... This is like back in the day when you used to get Ireland matches that were on sh- uh, closed circuit TV like in Albania or Turkey and you used to have to go to the point or a cinema to watch it. Um, I remember the game in 1991 against Albania. Remember we went 1-0 down? Yeah. And um, there were some people in my class at the time, in sixth class, who were convinced, ah, we let Albania have a goal. I was like, no, I don't think that's how it works. I remember <laughs> listening to the first half on the radio on the way home. And then, could I watch the second half? No, because no. that was one of those ones that um, Orti didn't show. I think they the were Albanian priced out crowd, of the market. Yeah, the Albanian crowd were trying to uh, basically recover their GDP with this one match and which I charging thought, RTE a fortune. Which I thought was unfair, given the fact that when they came over here, they were furnished with kit because they arrived with none. So it was Elvery's on Suffolk Street, I believe, who furnished them with a red and black Adidas equipment gear 
uh, and set them up for the rest of the campaign. And something similar happened with Lithuania because um, a buddy of mine's dad was running a sportswear manufacturing company in Cork mm. and he was given like 12 hours notice to make Lithuania a kit. And he did. Or was it Latvia? One of those former... Eastern Bloc. We were in the well, we were in the what was it the ninety four qualifying group we had both Lithuania and Latvia so there's a chance that either or yeah. was the case in that one but there you go yeah I remember that Satanta I think had the rights and showed it in Waterford you could go to uh, what's the name of the theatre the not the Gaty not the Gate that's in Cork uh, oh I forget the name Carter Lane Theatre I think yeah. they had it on a big screen so Satanta now air possibly regenerated the Albanian economy and that all kind of fed into how they were able to rebuild the country and rebuild the footballing structure and that's how they got to Euro 2016 so Tanta can take the credit I don't think that's it's too a little much bit of a stretch perhaps. I don't think that's too much of well, a come on, if exactly it's not you know what because if Italia 90 sparked the Celtic Tiger then that story is more than believable well there's a lot to be said for that to be honest with you Oshin, and uh, there's a lot to be said for Mr. CJ Hi and the uh, part he played but we won't get into that now that's <laughs> another story for another day yeah, uh, lots to come over the course of the podcast as I say we'll be speaking to Faz who was in Luxembourg to see St. Pat's progress in Europe to the next stage of the Europa League and a tie with either Dean Mominsk or Spartak's Jormala speaking of Latvia Jormala uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it I was waiting for it uh, what else we got coming up We've got lots coming up, Faz, as you mentioned, but also Irish Mirror football correspondent Paul O'Hare. He'll talk to us about the management situation at Shamrock Rovers, among other things. Former Linfield boss Dave Jeffrey linked to the position. Please let this happen. I really want that to happen. Please let this happen. Just for the sake of the league and the entertainment factor alone, this would, you know, micturate all over the Brian Law's appointment. Jeffrey and Shields in the one league. Amazing. Fingers crossed. Let's hope it happens. Here's the rest of the week's news. from Europe in a second but first domestically Derry's expected challenge is faltering and last Friday's 5-0 defeat to Dundalk at the Brandywell was a sign of exactly how far away they are Kenny Shields wasn't happy when talking to our friends in Drive 105 about Ryan McBride sending off and the performance of the ref overall but first he was asked if he was disappointed to concede two goals from set pieces and if that's something he thought they had been prepared for Yes we worked on it and we had it off pat Everything was exactly as I said it would be. That was the instructions for the players. I feel let down by that, but I'm not going to dwell on it. We, we move on and we, we take the information on board the next time. And it's, it's not good enough, to be honest. How did uh, you view the send off of Ryan? It was a foul, but that's all it was. They had one player booked. Stephen O'Donnell, uh, Nico, our right back, was booked for pulling the shirt of uh, Daryl Horgan. Stephen O'Donnell pulled the shirt in midfield of one of our, our players who was breaking and there was no punishment. Uh, that's indicative of, of how the game was refereed. Ryan's was a, an attempt to get the ball and he just arrived a bit late, but it wasn't. It was a yellow card. Why does this happen? Why do they keep giving red cards to ruin the whole spectacle of the game? Well, you have to hand it to David McMillan. He's nothing if not consistent. He followed his hat-trick in Derry with another on Tuesday against bottom side Longford in a slender 4-3 win. That victory putting Dundalk nine points clear with two games in hand on Cork City. Now, that's 12 goals and 13 starts for McMillan, making him the first Dundalk player since Mick Fairclough in 1981 to score hat-tricks in consecutive league games. Macmillan talked to LMFM and he said that the kind of win they got against Longford is the kind of win that earns you a title. You know, no game in this league is simple, you know. No game is ever easy and uh, as I said, it's you know it's the three points here against Longford and the three points against Wexford. If we slip up there, you know, when people aren't expecting us, that can cost us in the long run. You know, people might look at the games at the top are the most important but every three points is the same and uh, it's just a massive win tonight So Dundalk now concentrate on the Champions League and let's hope they St. Pat's, Cork City and Shamrock Rovers can give us some great European moments in the next few weeks Now even if they do it would be hard to match this from 2004 when Shells beat Hadjuk Split The story of Ollie Byrne's time at Shelburne is brilliantly told in Owen Brennan's documentary Never Forgotten uh, that's available, by the way, on the News Talk website. This is just a segment from it with Pat Fenlon and Owen Heary and, of course, the commentary of Declan Drake from that famous night in Talca Park. As a manager, um, the second leg was probably the best it's ever going to get from me as a manager. To see Talca Park, you're in your own country and the club that you've played for and that you're now managing, your own ground is jammed and just the game plan was was one of them days where everything just worked out to a team. 
took the game to them and that keeper was outstanding absolutely outstanding for the game and then Dave Rogers pops up with a, a stunner of a goal you know and Sure up shop. What do we do here? Do we go for it? Do we, you know? So we're thinking when we said we we put Joseph on and and give him the ball and let him take it and take it in the corners and kill a bit of the clock. We knew if they scored one that they'd go through on, on aggregate. So the last couple of minutes of the game, Joe and Doe come on a sub and we're screaming at him. Went to the corner with the ball. Went to the corner. He does a you know a Cruyff turn, rolls across around the middle to slot home. And, you know, jubilation after that. Declan Drake in my ears so thank you for that for uh, I believe that's called a romantic abnormality uh, there is something uh, there's only two <laughs> things I'll ever think of when I hear Europe's the final countdown yes. uh, number one is Joe Bluth doing magic I love Joe Bluth he's my favourite character if I ever was to draw a comparison with you in a fictional character it probably would be Joe Bluth to be honest and we've done a couple of reports uh, on bees in this station over a couple of years and every time one goes out <laughs> Needless to say, I react with bees and no one ever gets it. Maybe they do get it and they don't find it funny, but I find it funny. And as you're aware, Richie, so long as I'm entertained by something, I don't care if anyone else is entertained by it. As people will have gathered from my time on breakfast, my time on this podcast, the uh, Monday Rewind podcast, the weekend show with Jerry O'Sullivan, my occasional spots on uh, Saturday and Sunday a.m. on TV3. The other thing it reminds me of, of course, Sports Stadium, which was brilliant. Oh, I got show. to watch First Division football from England uh, uh, live on a Saturday afternoon. Saturdays used to be amazing when you think about it. Now they're terrible. I don't know what the kids do with themselves, but I remember watching that and you'd see the First Division football. You'd see a roundup of League of Ireland football occasionally. Mm. Uh, you'd see all Ireland League rugby. Um, you'd, like, in what such it actually far flung places, Yeah, in such far-flung places as Temple Hill. Jeez. And uh, many other rugby grounds. Listen, any opportunity, Park. Any opportunity to have Go Frank Hogley on her TV is a good, good thing. Uh, I miss it. I have to say. Yeah, like it was always good at rounding up the European action that Irish sides were involved in during the week and I oh, distinctly Lynch. remember the highlights and they are up online actually if you go looking for them as well. Uh, Bo's tie with Bordeaux and a young Zinedine Zidane graced the Daily Man pitch. Uh, but speaking of Europe, progress this week. Before we record, you never know. Things could go well for Cork or for Shamrock Rovers, unlikely, uh, on Thursday night. But it was St. Pat's who progressed to the second qualifying round of the Europa League with a 2-1 defeat in Luxembourg to Jonas Esch. But that away goal from Darren Dennehy, coupled with Christy Fagans back home, enough to see them through on away goals. So congrats to St. Pat's. And it's next for them, Dinamo Minsk or Spartak's Yurmala. Oh, I hear Minsk is nice at this time of year. It absolutely is, uh, as Phoebe's boyfriend will tell you. But to uh, tell us more about the uh, victory last night is a man who was actually at the match. That's right. A former Sligo Rovers, Drata, Cork City and Dundalk player, Faz Kadozovic. So you might be able to tell us what kind of game it was. Um, yeah, first of all, actually, there, there was a good few uh, pats there. Um, you know, so obviously they were making the standard noise and... Um, giving the team's instructions <laughs> as they do from the side. But, um, yeah, no, it was um, actually for, for, let's say, a neutral, was quite a good game, quite, um, you know, it was quite end-to-end. Um, I think the first half, um, Unicef really sort of gave it a go and um, I'd say they were they were a little bit on top um, for the first half. Simpads never really got going. and um, But then in the second half, uh, up until maybe the last 10 minutes, the St. Pats were, were definitely on top and far, but the stronger team. And um, yeah, they lost last night, but um, again, they had uh, numerous chances uh, even to to, to uh, finish the tie off really earlier on. And especially again, when it was open in the last 10 minutes, they, uh, with just a little bit of uh, quality, maybe in the last 30 metres, they um, they could have sealed the game up even more when Ash sort of uh, really went for it in the last 10. You know, League of Ireland supporters, I suppose we maybe see the league as being a higher standard than it is sometimes, and then other times we don't rate it highly enough. Um, was last night a case of Pats being brought down to Eunice Hesh's level, or are Hesh a good team, and 
wasn't, you know, a very good result. Should we give Pats a lot of credit for getting the result they need away from home? Um, credit, definitely. Um, you know, I thought about the, you know, I thought about the standard a lot after the game and on the drive back home. And, um, you know, I think that's one thing I definitely thought about, the, you know, the Irish standard. I think, um, being honest, I think from maybe from before, let's say, five to ten years ago, I think definitely we saw uh, maybe stronger players uh, in the Irish League. Uh, but again, you know, looking at the past team last night, you know, um, a friend of mine, Billy Denny, he's got not because of that fantastic game played superb you know consistent it's something that Billy has this consistency and continuity and he plays the game he played 90 minutes you know um, at such an intense level and um, you know he was uh, they, they really couldn't deal with him the players and also again I was really impressed by uh, Ian Birmingham left back and uh, Fagan which I hadn't seen much before I think he only sort of came on the scene when I sort of left Ireland but really, really top uh, top players, the boys. And, um, you know, I think definitely uh, not enough credit at times for, for the Irish standard. Um, but then again, Esh, uh, they've really, um, in the last two years, they were really poor. They've now built a new squad, completely new. Um, they have really good players, but um, at the end of the day, they, with, they can't compete with Irish teams um, as far as uh, fitness levels are concerned. And I think you really saw that. You know, they gave it a go first half, and then second half, I think, sort of, you know, up until the last 10 minutes where they gave it a go, um, Pats were really in control. And, um, you know, physically they, they couldn't deal with Pats. But again, a little bit of quality at times needed and a little bit more composure. Faz, something has to be said as well when you factor in the lack of familiarity that there would be for the Junisesh players and the, I suppose the Luxembourg setup as a whole. Um, the yeah. fact that they've been thrown into this mid season, Pats, and it's such an unfamiliar, essentially, uh, surrounding for them. There's something to be said for the mental resiliency that's apparent within that squad to be able to come through a tie of such intensity last evening? Um, yeah, no, um, definitely, definitely. Like, um, like I said to you, um, the league here as in Luxembourg is not very, um, it's not uh, well known at all really, whereas Ireland, you know, you have clubs, Shamrock Rovers, and Pats, Cork City, uh, Derry Drogheda. Then they, they are still known throughout Europe. You know, wherever I go, if I say I played in Ireland, and you say Cork City, everyone knows. Um, and uh, it's definitely one thing. You know, um, I was always the type of player. If if I would have played or experienced something uh, one, once, or know what to expect, it's a total different um, scenario. Whereas you're going into games not really having any sort of uh, homework being done on the team, on the, you know, how they play, what players they have, how this player and that player plays. And um, it's definitely, definitely something that um, should be respected. And the, uh, really, um, it was, uh, you know, the Pats boys yesterday, second half, definitely, you know, um, they had super passages of play, but also... You know, they, they definitely overpowered and they have, uh, it's something the Irish boys have, to be honest with you, mm. and you don't see it very often. Prime example, the, the, the um, national team, um, you know, this work ethic and um, when it's needed, the boys go that extra, extra, you know, percentage to put, push uh, results over the line and they did that last night. Obviously, we've got more Irish teams in European action this week. Cork City up against Linfield, hoping to see at home. They've got a 1-0 lead from the first leg. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rovers are in a bit of trouble as they go for their uh, second leg. They're 2-0 down. Um, But just on a general point, that difference between playing in the League of Ireland and Europe, do players nearly prefer it? I remember this was back in 2005, 2006 maybe. Kevin Doyle Mm -hmm. told me he likes it because you just get more time on the ball. You can actually play a bit of football. Did you find that when you were making that jump from League of Ireland to European football and from what you saw last night, was it very much the same still? Um, To be honest with you, um, I was quite, you know, obviously um, Liam Buckley, even even from obviously when I was back playing, he definitely demands that his his team plays football. And um, uh, definitely the boys tried in passages and uh, like I said to you, I think the biggest thing that fa- um, that fails in Ireland is decision making. And um, you know, obviously coaches have to bring into the team a, a, 
uh, a specific idea, a concept, a way of playing, and everyone has to be on the same page. Can I ask you why you think decision-making fails in this country? Is it that the the managers of the clubs? Is it the way the players are thought coming through? What is it? Um, You know, obviously, this this is a massive thing discussed lately over the, let's say, uh, especially over the Euros and stuff. Look, I'm six years now in Germany, and believe me, um, to what... To how I played in Ireland, a hundred percent different player, hundred percent different mentality, and hundred percent better player. Although now I've slowed down my career, I play only a little bit part time now since um, last summer in Luxembourg. Uh, I'm concentrating things out, uh, still in football, but uh, on the business side. But um, it's 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 a mixture of both. It's coaching, it's the coaches, and um, you know, and and obviously the coaches. Uh, when the boys are, are growing up, coming up. So um, it doesn't have to be the coaching up until uh, 14, 15 years of age, no. It's, I, th- I believe it's from 15 and upwards. The boys have to be taught how to play football. Um, I couldn't, I really couldn't describe to you, um, even younger ages here, the, the mentality and the style of football um, that's taught to the boys, to, to young players, not just boys but girls also, let's say. Um, I can't emphasize enough, it's, it's, it's night and day. Kids here and young players are taught how to play football. You know, it's, it's a next level from, let's say, UK and Ireland. Um, I believe in UK and Ireland it's, okay, um, just as an example, uh, play two-touch, uh, play three-touch. Um, yeah, but why? Here it's the next level. It's okay. Make two touches here, but there you can run with the ball, keep the ball, let everybody else come up, come up, make the right decision when to run with the ball, when to hold the ball, when to come back, when to cross, when not to cross. I think it's too, it's far too two-dimensional in, in in the UK and Ireland. It's 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 really you know I don't know I don't want to speak too much, but I feel it's far too basic, and um, you know. Um, and I think that's what, what fails the system over there. And it, it's evident. For example, um, the Esch boys, far, far more confident on the ball, uh, better decision-making, keeping the ball, whereas uh, the St. Ba- uh, Pat's boys, a little bit more, for this game, a little bit more effective football, but ball, uh, losing the ball far too often. Uh, F, um you know, giveaways of the ball, long, needless goals where you can keep the ball, make two passes, and um, wait for an opening. You know, so it's just decision making. But this this decision making has to be has to be taught from from a little bit earlier age. But if not, it's every manager for himself. And I don't that fails a little bit. I think in uh, UK now. Is that a case of there's too many webs to be untangled over here? I mean the differences between the league setup I suppose and the junior setup are just immense in terms of who you're dealing with and clubs from a League of Ireland level only go down to underage at a certain level they've done fantastic work I know at under 19s but beyond that it mm. can be a bit of a crapshoot and it's a lot mm. to really untangle and for the likes of Rude Doctor the FAI you mm. kind of wonder how much effectiveness he can actually have if there's obstinance yeah. from both sides to actually work together um, Of course you like uh, systems and a clear plan and organisation have to be in place. That's a, that's a given, you know. But um, I don't, to be honest with you, I can't. Ireland is still organised. It's still you have big clubs like Shamrock Rovers. Um, of late, I've heard what they're doing with their youth setups, and believe me, that's not a small thing. And I know um, all the Irish clubs have uh, juniors up until let's say second team, and and then the third team. It's, it's not that, but I'm afraid, I'm just afraid when we talk about the coaching and stuff. I, 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 can't, I can't really put a finger on it, it's like what's needed. I can't say that the standard of coaching is bad, it's not. It's very good. Like, for example, I know in Shamrock Rovers, uh, they have the likes of Stephen Bradley, uh, Shane Robinson. You can't, you know, that quality is top quality. Um, and these boys also have, um, you know, overseas experience. But there isn't enough of this overseas continental experience in the other setups. And I think that's what you can't teach this. You can't, if you don't have this experience from this other mentality and style of plays and, you know, uh, technical, tactical setups, you can't make this progress. And, um, but to be honest with you, 
for me, it's you can still teach this from from uh, older ages. So going up from 16 and upwards, this is where it can be taught. You know, it doesn't matter. Young boys have to be let let alone and let their talents blossom and and whatnot. And then later, you can still uh, coach this to them. But um, in, in this sector, I don't think it's uh, been, uh, you know. And the reason I can speak like because I've been watching this now for six years, and it's night and day. You know, okay, I'm I'm comparing the Germans. They're like, at the moment, they're you know they're number one at this, but um, you know, it, it really is night and day. And I'm not just talking about Ireland. I speak with, uh, like I said to you, I'm now in a little bit on the the management side of football um, with players uh, and stuff like that. And I speak to a lot of clubs, a lot of um, coaches, and even the UK is this. It's just this. Um, if you want to, we talk about well. If you want to play like the the the, the countries as uh, Croatia, um, yeah, even Croatia, um, Germany, and whatnot, you have to take. You have to. The boys have to have this mentality, yeah. and that's what's failed there. Yeah. Faz, before we let you go, we started by talking to you about an Irish club in Europe, one of the. I suppose best remembered adventures of an Irish club in Europe was Drogheda in 2008 when you yeah. probably should have beaten Dynamo Kiev. Um, yeah. How do you reflect on that now? Is it something that you look at positively and say, well, what a great time that was for Drogheda as a club and we pro- po- possibly should have beaten Dynamo Kiev or do you look at it and say, God, that, that's a missed opportunity? How do you reflect eight years later? Um, oh, this, You know, I think this whole time, um, let's say the five six years I've spent in Ireland. Um, like I said, I think I mentioned it at the beginning. When I say I think only positively, honestly, and I think about the boys that I played with, and that was something I thought, the boys that I played with and this time you talk about, let's say, the Drogheda team, you're going from, um, you know, Oli Carl um, to, to, to um, Mark at the back, uh, Gartland. These are, like, these players were top professional men players you know this was real competitive football and um and this i look at this with with such you know like pride really that uh, i got the chance to play with these boys in cork with um colin healy joe gamble um you know the, for me when i look at some of the the, the clubs i played with and, and players i played with and uh, also these highlight times you know against Dynamo kiev away um you know, these nights were, were, were fantastic. You know, we come onto the pitch and stuff before the game. You have um, 20-odd thousand whistling at us and stuff like that. And um, amazing times. You know, I'm really, really proud that I got to experience these times. Not many players do. Um, and uh, this is something that, uh, you know, these boys, you know, the boys playing now in Europe this week uh, in the Irish teams, you have to strive for these times. And, um you know, I'm really proud that I got to play with some of these players because in my mind, these players, I think it's, it's something that's missing at the moment in Niles. These, but when I think about, you know, the, the Shelbourne team, you know, uh, maybe 2006, 2007, um, you know, these, these were top, top professional men players. And, um, you know, I'm really proud that I, was, uh, I, got, I got a chance to be part of that. And just before I let you go, you played with Seamus Coleman at Sligo Rovers. And look, there's a lot of talk about the contribution the League of Ireland made to the Ireland squad at Euro 2016. There was eight guys in the squad who had played League of Ireland. I suppose mm. we're looking now at games at the moment and wondering, right, who could be next? Who could step up? Did you know at that stage that Seamus Coleman would go on to have the career he's had? And if so, how? What did you look out for? What kind of stood out about him? Um, you know, at the time, of course, he was was uh, just new, and he I can't even say he was that long with us, you know. And uh, but of course he had um, he had he had attributes that you need to play at the top level. He had speed, and um, he had strength. He didn't have height, but you know when you have the other two, you uh, and you can play uh, football relatively um, good. You have every chance, and. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm really proud. Honestly, I, I, I exchange a few texts every now and then with, with Shame. He's a top, top man. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of because um, he went over to Everton. They, but also, you know, I think Everton did the right, exactly the right way. They coached him. They, you know, and I think also now Shamey with um, Roberto Martinez, he's, he's completely, he's, 
I don't know if you, you watch this, decision making, ball keeping, absolutely 100, 200% better than, than before. But also, you know, um, every, every, um, Shamey went to, to the right club and, um, you know, he hasn't looked back since. And uh, fantastic. And I'm, I'm also doing the same now. Like I said, I said to you, I'm in the ma- uh, management uh, side of football now for the time being whilst I do my licenses and everything. And, um, you know, I'm speaking to people all the time in, in Ireland about, you know, who can be the next um, next uh, you know lad to come up and go through uh, overseas and maybe come through into the premier league and and elsewhere and um, you know i think i don't know if uh, you have any ideas but i think there is two or three young boys uh, that definitely have potential for that okay faz look it's been a real pleasure talking to you and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon in your soon to be guys as a manager possibly in the league of ireland Listen, like I said, last night I thought about, you know, Ireland so much and um, how I missed it and everything. Um, I, I would love to. I, I think uh, the last six years I've learned so much and I'm learning still. Um, last year I was in, in Luxembourg, assistant manager to the coach. And, um, you know, I, will, I really, really hope and will plan and uh, work for, for, you know, uh, an Irish comeback, but, you know, yeah. in, the, in the managerial, uh, uh, yeah. Well, Shamrock Rovers are looking for a boss at the, at the moment. Maybe it's a bit too soon, but uh, you never know. Look, no, no, it's too soon. No, send, no. send in a CV and uh, Richie and I will write you a reference. Our word counts for a lot. Yeah, we're good for you. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely no back problem, you up. Pal. Faz, thank, no thank problem, you very much for joining us. Guys, thank you so much. It's intermission time. We're happy to have you with us tonight and hope you'll come back often. This week, while we were away, saw the departure from Shamrock Rovers after 23 months in charge of manager Pat Fenlon with the side fourth in the SSE or Tristy Premier Division. They are now, after Dundalk's win last night, 17 points adrift of the top spot and 2-0 down heading into the second leg of their Europa League first qualifying round with ROPS Rovaniemi of Finland. Uh, here to, to uh, shed more light on the situation out in Tala is uh, the football correspondent with the Irish Daily Mirror. It's Paul O'Hare. Paul, very welcome to the podcast. How you doing, lad? Uh, first of all, is this a shock that Fenland went? I think the timing of it is definitely a shock. Um, you know, there had definitely been sort of rumours of, you know, maybe all not being well behind the scenes in terms of Pat's relationship with the board and vice versa, but they kind of just got on with it and kept to a working relationship. And, you know, Rovers are obviously putting a lot of money into the youth side of things at the moment and setting up the academies and, and, and that type of thing. I think Pat was sort of keen to... You know, his brief is obviously to see bits and bobs of that, but his brief is to sort of look after the first team. And I think he wanted a bit more money sort of put into the first team, um, which he wasn't necessarily getting. So I think the relationship between the board and Pat mightn't have been, well, it wasn't. It wasn't great for for quite a while. But as I said, they just got on with it. But I think it reached breaking point the other day after that defeat to the finish side. I was at that game and they, you know, the finish side, they, they, they weren't any great shakes, to be perfectly honest. But Rovers were just desperately poor. And I think they've just been sort of off the pace, really. Since Pat came in, they just haven't really kicked on. Like a lot of people might have thought that Rovers might, when, when, when Pat first came to the club, was sort of seen as a as a marriage that might work. You know, Pat having grown up as a Rovers fan, and he was always sort of seen destined to get that job at some stage, and had obviously done well, which, you know, very well with Shelburne and Rovers arch rivals, Bohemians, and people just thought that this would be the perfect fit. And he got a long, he got a long contract. I think it was three years, three and a half years, and it's obviously sort of uh, finished a bit prematurely, probably from his viewpoints. But um, the atmosphere in Tallaght on Thursday night after that Europa League game, you know, there was chance of what a load of rubbish after the second goal went in. There was booze at halftime. There was booze at full time. Um, I think you know the fans have definitely been getting frustrated for quite a while. Personally, I was taken aback by the, the announcement on uh, Sunday, was it? Um, it's the timing of it, because it comes between the two legs of the tie, which I suppose, in any regards, if it's a two-legged cup tie, if it's a two-legged European tie, whatever, it's very rare that you see uh, a change in manager halfway through it. Um, very much so, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, and that just ties in with the whole sort of shock nature of, the, of it. You know, there is huge money, obviously, at stake in this tie. Pass, you know, for what it's worth, immediately after Thursday's uh, defeat in Tala, 
he came out, did his press sort of conference stuff, and mm. you know he said all the right things. As did the handful of you know the couple of players that came out to speak to us as well, they were sort of hugely frustrated at having lost um, at home, you know, in the concession of two away goals. But they genuinely felt that it was unlike the year before, where they played the Norwegian team odds, who were definitely a couple of leagues, you know, in terms of class, they were a much better team than uh, Robin Amy are, you know. And uh, they certainly felt that if they could go over there tomorrow night and score the first goal, that the tie could actually, you know, it, it could turn around a bit, despite the concession of two-way goals. Fanciful sort of thinking in some respects, you know, yeah. because two two-way goals and or two, you know, the concession of two-way goals in Europe is, is a huge sort of a huge thing. Goes without saying, but um, if Rovers had a bit more about them last Thursday night, they definitely could have won that game, you know. Paul, as always with these things, there's rumours and stories flying around, but uh, did he still have the dressing room or was that very much lost? Um, I, I just, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know. Um, but, you know, there, there was certainly no, not that I was aware of in any big way, that there was any issues behind the scenes with, with, um, with players or anything like that. Um, from, you know, certainly from what I understand and I think what colleagues of mine would have understood as well is that, you know, the relationship, as I was touching on earlier, between Pat and the board wasn't always brilliant, but nobody expected them, particularly as Richie was saying there, to, to, to sort of wield the axe in the middle of, right and slap bang in the middle of two European games. Um, the, you know, you, you could probably question some of the signings that maybe Pat has made. Or have they been good enough? Have they stepped up but, to the plate? But as you say, if money hasn't been made available to him, have his hands been tied in a certain respect? Because you looked at who they brought in in the off-season, it was Gary Shaw and Dean Clark, and you know, both serviceable players, but are they going to be uh, bringing your squad from third and fourth in the league to challenging for the league itself? I wouldn't have thought so. So you're, Possibly, ca- you're kind of yeah. guessing that his hands might have been tied somewhat there. I think so. And like, there was, you know, there was definitely a list of players that Pat, I think, you know, Pat had gone after in, in, in preseason that didn't come off. And now, you know, when you listen to, to sort of Pat and the management side of it as to why they didn't get certain players or why if you listen to the board and why they didn't get certain players, they're, they're kind of at odds with each other. No disrespect to Gary Shaw, Dean Clark, that, you know, Gary's done a good job sort of as a lone striker up front. And he's never been the most prolific. He had a good season a couple of years ago with Longford. If you want to be really cold about it, you sort of say Rovers have signed a player from Longford Town who struggled last season. You know, I don't mean Gary struggled necessarily, but he came from a club, Longford Town, who struggled last season. And a club, uh, Dean Clark is a player from Limerick who were relegated last season. You know, are they going to be the type of players that are going to turn, turn your season around? Possibly not, but had they gelled in with what, what was there beforehand, then, you know, things might click. That's the thing, though. Nothing's really changed at Rovers. It's kind of, you know, crowds are down. Uh, fans are frustrated. They're not scoring loads of goals. Um, it's just hasn't. It's just been very stale, you know. Are fans' expectations out of whack in Tala? Because if we're looking at it now, it's what, 2010 and 2011 when they won back-to-back leagues. That's now five years ago. It's five mm-hmm. years since they exited the Europa League group stage. And since then, there's been a succession of, what, fifth, third and fourth places in the Premier Division and the gap between themselves and Dundalk and Cork to an extent, although they were quite close to them last season, is widening. Yeah. Like, sh- should there be a, a level of levelling of expectations out in Tala or are they right to be up in arms and booing after a 2-0 home defeat in Europe? Well, I, 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 I personally don't have any issue with the fans booing the other night because, as I said, it was a winnable game for Rovers. They just never turned up on the day and they were, they were just poor and never got into it. And but boo, you know yourself, Paul, booing never comes after just one bad performance. I mean, this is something that has been building over the last while. Absolutely, it's been building, yeah. And I, I do think, I think the, sort of the frustration might stem from the fact that you look back at the Michael O'Neill era and how successful that was, a couple of league titles and qualifying for Europe and making history and all that. And the club just hasn't kicked on from there, you know. And I think that sort of stems from, the frustration stems from that in, in terms of Rovers were, you know, a reasonably sort of steady club at the time. They'd obviously gone through their sort of nomadic existence for a couple of decades that everyone knows about. Um, and then all of a sudden they get a bit of success under Michael O'Neill and it was fantastic sort of three, you know, two, three, four years, whatever it was on, on, under Michael and he's kicked on to great things. And since then, people were sort of expecting that Rovers might go off and, you know, back in 2011, people were expecting them to possibly kick on and do what Rosenberg did or, you know, something like that in terms of dominating the domestic league and qualifying for Europe year on year, you know, year after year to the Champions League or whatever winning leagues. And it just never happens. And they've gone from being sort of a club with sort of grand expectations to now a club that 
seems to be pretty quick on the trigger in terms of, you know, hiring and firing managers. And, you know, I think some fans, you know, whoever was going to come in after Michael O'Neill was facing a bit of a thankless task, you know. Stephen Kenny came in. I my, my my own personal feeling is that they got rid of Kenny a bit too quickly, you know, and it's, I know it's fairly easy to say that in hindsight in, in terms of the success he's gone on to with Dundalk. It's like nine but months for a manager is never really enough. Exactly, exactly. It's not, you know. Especially not um, Stephen Kenny who likes to build. We want to talk to you, Paul, about some of the uh, managers that are being connected to the position. Mickey Adams, Paul Doolan and ex-Linfield boss Dave Jeffrey. Uh, me and Richie desperately want that to happen. It would certainly be interesting. But who do you think are the realistic runners and why? Um, I think Paul Doolan will definitely be um, a strong contender for the job. He's obviously no longer with the Irish under-19s and he's got pedigree in the league, of course. And He's, he's won the league with, with Drogheda before. Um, you know, Paul would probably sort of... Um, he, he'd come in and he'd sort of be fairly demanding on certain things. You know, he, he sort of has his way. He, he's very sort of professional in his outlook about things. And he can definitely rub <laughs> rub players up the wrong way. Sometimes, you know, there's been a history of that in the past, but it's it's because of the professional sort of standards that he sets for himself. Um, a little bit like Pat Fenlon in some ways, he will he will lean quite heavily on, on the board that he's with to sort of, you know, to cough up the money to make sure that the, they have the right players, that they have the right facilities, that they have this, that and the other. So that, if you know what I mean, won't come cheaply as such. Uh, you know, Paul will probably expect to have a, a certain budget that he can operate off in, in the hope of becoming successful. I think Ian Barraclough, I see sort of today and yesterday that there's a possibility he might be going in as Oldham's assistant manager. Um, but I know Ian has definitely been interested in sort of, uh, how would you say it, keeping in touch as such with clubs over here, letting them, sell, letting them know that he's sort of available since the Sligo Rovers days and since he's left Motherwell. If, if Rovers were to send him out, they'd probably want to do it pretty quickly if, if, if this is true that, he's gone, that he might go in as Oldham number two. Um, but I think Ian Barraclough could definitely be a shout. David Jeffrey, I know I see colleagues had that. A colleague had that in the paper today. I think I don't really see David Jeffrey coming off. He'd be a great character in the oh, league. Come and on, Paul. Yeah. Give us hope here. <laughs> yeah. he, like, he, he'd be a fantastic character in the league and he's sort of larger than life in every respect. But um, I, I'm pretty sure Dave has a day job up in Belfast. I think he's a social worker and I just, I'm not entirely sure if the sort of the whole commute up and down to Dublin yeah. on top of the day job would really would really work, you know. Does it matter what kind of manager comes in, or do you think the Rovers fans will only accept someone who will get them playing good football? Or at this stage, do they just want to see the team win consistently, and they don't care who comes in? I, I, I yeah, good question. Um, I think I, you know, Stephen Bradley is obviously going to take over as caretaker manager. And he can only do so for, you know, the next 60 days or so because of, you know, the UEFA rules about lack of pro license and stuff. I think the Rovers fans will definitely be sort of, you know, if Bradley gives it a go and he's he's held in high regard by a lot of the players um, in terms of his coaching stuff. If Rovers get back to playing a bit of football and the games are a bit more exciting, I think that will actually just sort of satisfy Rovers fans' needs in the short term, you know. Um, in terms of... In terms of do they want you know a manager you know Rovers Rovers want success you know they're they're a club that are hungry for success and they're a club that we you know we were talking about earlier on about whether their sort of ambitions are are they a bit above their station at the moment um, you look you look at them compared to Dundalk and it's night and day between the two sort of the two squads and how they're performing at the moment and there's only one winner in terms of domestic trophies in that sort of two-horse race, it's Dundalk every time. But, you know, I think they need to maybe sort of revamp the squad a little bit. Things have just gone really flat, really stale and has been for a couple of years. And I think that's the source of the fans' frustrations, not that they sort of necessarily feel that they should be winning the league every season with the squad they've had over the last three or four years. But I think I do think they thought that they might challenge and push Dundalk a bit more than they have and even push Cork more than they have. And they haven't. They've just been third, fourth place and way off the pace. And I think that's the source of the frustration. They really need to be careful from this point point on, obviously, because they're now locked in a position where they're sacking the manager every year, every year and a half, two years nearly in the case of, of Fenlon. And they need to get this appointment right because they need to sit down and explain to the new manager what the budget is. They also need to explain to the fans what the long-term plan is because, as you said, they're putting a lot of faith and investment in youth and uh, academies and such. 
So there needs to be a long-term plan and everybody needs to buy into it all at once because if we don't, we're going to be back in this position from a rover's perspective in 18 months' time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, you know, I, I don't think the rover's board beyond sort of the Stephen Bradley thing at the moment and I believe they've sort of made tentative sort of They've, they've sounded out a couple of the sort of prospective uh, managers that could be could be sort of on the shopping list, the Paul Doolans. I think they've made sort of, you know, preliminary contact with a few of these people just to gauge interest. But I'm not entirely convinced that the Rovers board um, at this moment, like I don't think they sacked Pat on Sunday with a plan up their sleeve to bring, you know, to fast track somebody in straight away. Could be wrong. Maybe after the European game tomorrow night, things will change. And in a week or two's time, we could be sitting at a press conference with a new manager in front of us. But, you know, I think, I think you're right. They need to, they need to just get this right because they were very quickly and have already have a reputation of becoming a hiring and a firing club, which is not what Rovers want. Rovers want a bit of stability. They don't want to be sort of seen as a bit of a joke shop now. And you know, managers probably will sort of look at that and go, Jesus, is this really worth? You know, is this worth my while? Um, in terms of the expectation, is it realistic? You know. So I don't think they'll rush into it. They probably shouldn't rush into it. They're not going to be winning leagues this year. They're well off the pace. Um, obviously, trying to qualify for Europe again for next season is is still a really big priority. And you know, maybe they will leave Stephen Bradley in for the two months. That will bring him up to mid September. There'll be a month, just over a month to go in the season. There's ways around these things. They can bring somebody in with a pro license to work beside him. They might, you know, they might. See, I, I'm just not entirely sure at the moment what difference bringing in the new manager now and seeing it out with Bradley, providing things go reasonably well over the next week or two, is going to make, you know, so this should take their time. Paul, before we let you go, Seamus Coleman, James McLean, Shane Long, Stephen Ward and Wes Hulhan, all very much part of Martin O'Neill's on-pitch plans at Euro 2016 and hopefully they'll be involved going forward into the World Cup qualifiers and then the World Cup after that if we get there. Um, How can the League of Ireland stroke the FAI take advantage of the fact that we had such a presence from former League of Ireland players on the biggest stage. Do they go into a marketing campaign? Do they look at how they structure the coaching? I mean, it's a very broad question, I appreciate, but it's one that's been talked about in the last couple of weeks and no doubt you've thought about it. What are your thoughts? I, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. And it is, look, it's fantastic for people who love the League of Ireland to see that many players and there would have been maybe another four or five players sort of in the fringe, you know, on the fringes of that squad. The David Fords, Kevin Doyles, uh, Greg Cunningham probably wasn't really on the fringe of the squad. But I'm not entirely sure that the FBI, um, you know, th- their financial difficulties are well known. I don't think this is top of the FBI's priority list in any shape or form, to be perfectly honest. And as much as you would love to see them tapping into this and sort of you know, a marketing campaign going, you know, yeah. we can, you know, we can kind of sort of produce these guys, albeit now they have taken a step or two with other clubs in England. They haven't gone directly into the Irish team. I just don't see the appetite within the FBI to do it, unfortunately, and I don't think anything's changed. And I think it's kind of convenient for them in a way that they can, they can sort of roll this out whenever they want to sort of trot out that line that, you know, look at these guys that came from our league. I just don't see any sense of urgency Unfortunately, within the FAI to sort of actually piggyback on that and do something meaningful with it, you know. Um, Stuart Byrne, um, I know you have him on your show a lot and um, on News Talk, and he does a column for us in the, in the Irish Mirror as well every Friday. And I thought he made a good point last Friday in his column where he was saying, um, you know, just for the Irish fans who perhaps were over at the Euros who wouldn't be League of Ireland fans. But they look and they sort of will have realised that a lot of these guys came from the League of Ireland, you know, sort of, albeit going back a few years. And while it mightn't be total football all the time, at least they're playing with pride, they're playing with passion. And it's, you know, very sort of standard Irish qualities in a team, I guess. But it's it's kind of what the League of Ireland has been built on for years. And then you look at the England performance against Iceland, and Stewie was making the comparison, sort of saying that a lot of these Irish fans who go to the Euros are probably fans of English clubs and that's great, good luck to them, you know. But what are they spending all this money for going over and watching these teams and these players and, you know, sort of the, the you know, England, England bound out and no gut, no guts about them, no performance, um, at least with the Irish lads, you know, perhaps maybe just with a handful of people, it might they might have sort of gone, maybe if this is what the League of Ireland is all about and you get this type of attitude and spirit from these guys, maybe it is worth having a look. Um, it's fairly aspirational stuff I appreciate but um, I just don't really see the FBI 
making too much too many strides to sort of jump on the back of this and make anything bigger out of it because I think their money is tied up with other things unfortunately and I think it's just it's kind of convenient for them to be able to to sort of highlight this whenever it sort yeah. of whenever it, when, whenever it suits them you know Well imagine if you could get even a quarter of the crowd in to your club bar that went to France and spend the money they kind of spent there Oh here absolutely you <laughs> know fantastic <laughs> yeah, well, They're thirsty you know, They're thirsty yeah, they're a thirsty bunch, yeah. And there's but a decent the, set of craft beers at Daily Mount, I might say, as well. So, you know. Oh, have you seen all there. those, by the way, lads, have you seen those uh, videos on social media of all the League of Ireland fans having a great time fixing tyres, not starting fights, <laughs> not throwing plastic <laughs> furniture? Oh, it's fun. I, I, I can't get enough of them. Um, the My favourite one is the bunch of lads singing at the old lady who's in a corner and people say serene looking, I think afraid looking. Anyway, Paul O'Hare of the Irish Mirror, thank you very much for joining us on the SSE Electricity League podcast here on News Talk. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Thanks again to Paul for giving us some insight into the current state of affairs out in Talan, Shamrock Rovers. And yeah, it is next for them, their second leg. Away to ROPS Rovaniemi in Finland, 2 0 down. They go into that one also in European action on Thursday evening. Cork City, who are back at the cross with a 1 0 lead and an important away goal as well, most importantly, as they welcome Linfield, David Healy's side, Roy Carroll goal, and all of that. And possibly, you never know, David Jeffrey scouting out League of Ireland opposition. Possibly, but wouldn't it be cool if they had the Summer League in Northern Ireland as well? And then when teams come across each other in European competition, the the battleground would be somewhat fairer. Now, I say this assuming Cork City are going to see it through. I think they will. But it's quite obvious Linfield aren't at peak fitness. Certainly not at peak match fitness. Well, listen, this is one of the things that when the move to summer football was mooted, that uh, one of the reasons for it was to give sides an advantage in Europe and have them have a running start. And it's worked. It has. It's worked. Uh, There is, as you might imagine, a slightly odd look to the weekend's fixtures given the fact that... uh, in the Premier Division, there's a couple of games postponed. So on Friday night, 7.45 at Daily Mount Park, you've got Bowes taking on Bray and also uh, Finn Harps facing Galway United. That's got an 8 o'clock start. On Saturday evening, Sligo Rovers are entertaining that victorious St. Pat's side. And on Sunday evening, 5pm, you'll be in and out just in time for the Euro 2016 final. Wexford Youths hosting Cork City. On Friday in the First Division at Lone up against Shelburne under new management Owen Heary the new gaffer there UCD up against Cabin Teeley and Waterford taking on Limerick Waterford in Limerick in the hurling on Sunday that's in the Munster final uh, on Saturday I'm not saying it's, it's, a, coming back to I'm not saying it? it's a superior sport I'm just saying it's more intense it's faster and fellas don't uh, fanny about with diving better that's class of people saying. yeah better class of people as well uh, Cove Ramblers taking on Drogheda on Saturday that one kicking off at 7.15 Limerick still streaking clear at the top of the first division like Frank the Tank in old school they're on 43 points Drogheda second on 26 good lord it's, it's, it's actually even worse than the Scottish Premier League this and hey you know, one slight positive at least Athlone Town as t- at time of recording still in business so there is that going for the league as well as our Waterford United uh, so yeah as ever if we haven't spoken about your club this week it is because you know the reason you suck you're a bunch of minnows we don't rate you at O'Sheen Langan by the way is a, the and at Richie McCormick as Dara O'Brien would say for no real reason go easy go easy manja go easy go easy manja go easy yeah